0: I'd like to begin by thanking the leaders of the Men's Ministry at KBC for inviting me to speak to you. I was told that um, it's a good excuse for you as men not to be with your wives. I hope that I won't be encouraging you to stay away from them, but to give you reason to maximize your time with them because it's one of the beautiful things of life at least for married men and in addressing you i was asked to speak on the subject illusions of safety and i must confess that initially i had no idea what the leaders might have had in mind And especially when those leaders who gave me the subject were young people, I thought that it was probably something in the realm of technology or something of the kind. But on further reflection and um, even inquiry, it became clear to me that the concern was about those men who seem to find refuge in the things of the world and to find their safety in the things of the world at the expense of the things of God. And uh, there is much in the Bible that uh, reflects on uh, on that. There is in fact an illusion we all live with And the illusion is that we are safe, that we can breathe and eat and drink and be merry and that if we get sick, we will get better and that we can take these things for granted. This illusion is often wiped away when we suddenly can't breathe. And last year we heard that phrase popularised in the context of America. We also find that the illusion is wiped away when we can't eat because for some reason we are not able to put food on our table. And when we can't move because perhaps a COVID-19 inspired exhaustion is pulling us backward and we can't be merry because there is little that is exciting in the world at the moment. So there is an illusion we live with that all will always be well but thankfully more often than not we are uh, woken up or awakened to realize that, in fact, that is just an illusion. That's not the illusion I want, I want us to talk about today. There is an illusion that some men particularly live with. And the illusion is that we can be happy and contented and that we can attain this through the acquisition of an abundance in life, the abundance that life under the sun has to offer. And I want us to think about this, particularly from the context provided by the book of Ecclesiastes. If you have taken the time to read and work through that book you will no doubt have noticed that the author seems to be concerned to answer the questions, what is the purpose of life? What is the true way to true happiness? How can we find contentment and meaning, particularly in life under the sun i wonder what your answer to that question would be in ecclesiastes the author tells us what the answer should be and he leads us to that answer basically by opening up three thoughts and i want us to focus on those three thoughts they all happen to be in Ecclesiastes, in three verses in Ecclesiastes. And I happen to believe that understanding the meaning of those three verses will in fact give you the meaning of the message of the book of Ecclesiastes. The first thought is vanity of vanities. The second is eternity in the heart and the third is fear of God. This is what I would like us to reflect on as we open up our subject. Let us begin with the thoughts vanity of vanities. We find that of course in Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 1. Let me read it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Now that phrase is used elsewhere in the book of Ecclesiastes, and I will be drawing your attention to it as we go on. But you'd be interested to know that the word translated "vanity" literally can also mean breeze or breath or vapor. It refers to anything that is transitory or short-lived, something that is worthless. And worthless because it adds no real value to our lives. It can also refer to something temporary, something that can be taken away anytime from us, something we will not always have. It can also be a reference to godlessness. Now we need to add or bring these two ideas, godlessness and and transitoriness, together. In other words, whatever is vanity can be easily, quickly and permanently whisked away and like vapour, or smoke, or cloud, or perhaps a desert mirage it doesn't stay temporary. And in the world of morality and spirituality that is also true. When we choose to live a life that is godless or unspiritual, that life won't stick. That life won't stay. It's worthless, and so it will, before long, be quickly taken away. That's the idea of vanity as presented here in Ecclesiastes. You will also notice that there is a little word there in verse 2 of Ecclesiastes 1 used alongside the idea of vanity and it's the word all. All is vanity. And that word all means every part, or the whole, or everything under the sun. Now what does that particularly include this is of course bringing us closer to our subject today and I just want to suggest four things that it includes there are many more obviously but just four things I will mention first the all includes education education and we read about it in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 16 through to 18. The wise man writes, I communed with my heart saying, look, I have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge and I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is grasping for the wind. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow." Education here is referred to as wisdom. And whatever Solomon acquired, whether through uh, a revelation of God or through experience or science, he refers to to it as wisdom. And concerning it, at the end of verse 17, he says it is a grasping for the wind. Well, basically, he is saying education is vanity. Education is a grasping for the wind. It is meaningless. Now, it is Meaningless or vanity, not because there is anything wrong with education per se. That is not the point he is making. The point is that the pursuit of education has no power in itself to satisfy the quest for meaning. And we mustn't lose that connection. He is trying to answer the question what is the purpose of life how do we find meaning and purpose in life and education does not provide the answer to that question in and of itself the point is that the pursuit of education has no power to satisfy the quest for meaning it may sharpen the intellect and indeed it does, but satisfy the quest for meaning, it never can. In that regard, it is a chasing after the wind. The next thing incorporated in the all is employment or work. Solomon thought that this too was a chasing after the wind, and that he makes clear in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, particularly verse 17. He says, therefore, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me, for all is vanity and grasping for the wind. Once again, it's not as if there was something wrong with working. Working is something God actually commands us to do in the Bible. But work in and of itself has no power to satisfy the quest for meaning. It can't make you happy. It can't give you that lasting sense of contentment. It can fill the horizon, but it can't deliver the satisfaction, the vacant advertisements promise to us. Indeed, under the sun, work is temporary and therefore insecure. During the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of people here in Zambia and elsewhere in the world have lost jobs and some might have thought that their jobs were everlasting and now that they have lost them they have come to see that in fact a job is not everlasting and because it is not even if it can have the tendency to make us happy that happiness can be cut short unexpectedly and very often suddenly. The next thing incorporated under the idea of the all is achievement that of course can be connected to work or employment. Achievement means accomplishment. Someone refers to that as being going upwardly mobile in terms of job titles, perks, advancement and promotion. There are people who live for that. If only they can go up, and if only their pecs can go wider and wider, if only they can advance in their jobs, they'll be the happiest, they'll be the most contented. But Solomon thinks that even that is vanity in chapter 5 and verse 10 he says he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver no he who loves abundance with increase and then he declares this also is vanity this also is vanity. So we can achieve much even through our work, make a lot of money, but in Solomon's view, even that is vanity. Again, not because money is evil, not because advancement is evil, not because it is not good rather that even that cannot deliver the lasting satisfaction and security and peace that we daily seek even that is a grasping for the wind can you imagine trying to grasp wind you will always draw a blank It can't answer the question of meaning. It can't make you eternally happy. A lot of Christians actually find that the more they pursue such advancement, the more they lose in other ways. At the end of the day, you find that you have spent all your spiritual resources trying to finance your journey upwards and it's not worth it there's another thing that comes under the all and that is enjoyment or pleasure if you like and solomon uses various words to refer to pleasure or things that are intended to bring about pleasure in Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 2, he writes about laughter. I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth. What does it accomplish? Well, Solomon was clear. There is place for laughter, and yet it is not laughter that will bring about lasting contentment. Drink. Writes about that in chapter 2 and verse 3. Even that will not bring about lasting happiness. A good time. Just as four, uh, 2 and verse 4 through to 9. I made myself great works. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had great possessions of herds and flocks and all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of sons of men and musical instruments of all kinds. He did all of these things and yet he found that they too were a grasping for the wind. Music didn't bring about lasting meaning or happiness. Fame didn't bring about lasting happiness. And yet, the things we see described here in Ecclesiastes 2, which Solomon sought for, are the kind of things that many of us hanker for. These are the things we seek for. This is the kind of Lifestyle we want because this is what we associate with success and, and happiness and pleasure. Yet as Solomon would put it I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labour in which I had toiled and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no prophet under the sun. And it's not as if there was no place for pleasure in life. There is. And it's not as if you can't enjoy these things of life. You can. But they don't constitute what we may refer to as lasting happiness. They don't define meaning. In any case... The pleasure these things offer because they are under the sun cannot last. There was never a time in the world when these things constituted lasting happiness. All these things fall short because the blessing they impart is temporal, it is transitory, in and of themselves they cannot satisfy an immortal soul. So it's not surprising that even when we have pursued this kind of happiness, this kind of pleasure, that we are left with frustration, a feeling of frustration, a sense of not having arrived. As a pastor, uh, I have been in situations many, many times before in which people are dying. Some have been poor people, others wealthy people, successful people. And yet in that moment before they have passed on to eternity, many of them have indicated how unsatisfying they have found life when they have Uh, used it to pursue the world. But how, in that moment of need, they find that being close to God is what was meaningful, and some have wished that they had been close to God all their life. The promise temporal things make is not lasting. To use the language of our subject, it is an illusion. That brings us to the second thought that uh, Solomon interacts with, and it's the thought of eternity in the heart. Eternity in the heart. We find that expression in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time, and it's referring to God. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. He has put eternity in their hearts. Now, the word translated eternity here literally means the vanishing point. The idea here is that when you try to see where a given point begins, you can't. Nor can you see where it ends. Because when you try to see it, and particularly to grasp it, you find that it is vanishing. You can't grasp it because each time you look and especially each time you try to touch it, it tends to to vanish. It's like a, a time out of mind. You look in the past, you can see it, but you can't grasp it because it seems to disappear. You look into the future and you try to grasp it And again, you can't because it seems to disappear. Uh, It keeps moving further and further away. Well, that is just a human way of trying to explain eternity or everlastingness. What Solomon is describing about man, therefore, is that he possesses within himself something that is exalted above the limitations of time, something that lives on and on and on. It is called the soul. It does not end with the dissolution of our bodies in time, and Paul or rather Solomon refers to that in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 17, or verse 7 rather, We rather have something in us that will outlive the body, this side of eternity. On the other hand, God is said to be everlasting. He is from everlasting to everlasting, we read in Psalm 90 and verse 1. So God is eternal. And this eternal God has put something of that eternity in the heart of a man whose body may die. But this eternity, this soul that God puts there, does not die. It is immortal. It lives on and on and on and on. Now, the point is, the possession of eternity in the heart gives man the capacity to conceive of you, of eternity. Man is able to look beyond the veil of the outward things and to desire to know that which is above and beyond him. He desires to know eternity, to live eternally furthermore he, he has a longing to, to live a life that is unending. it is not strange therefore for man to constantly ask the question how can i inherit eternal life how can i see to it that covid19 doesn't take my life how can i see to it that my life is not cut short by illness or old age or an accident. How can I live eternal life? It is a question that results from this deep-seated desire to live a life that is truly happy, truly meaningful, truly satisfying, and an ending. Now this is what brings us to the third thought, the fear of God. The eternity that God has put in our hearts cannot be satisfied by the temporal, the abundance that is under the sun. It can't be satisfied by any belief that amounts to a mere illusion, any safety that is merely illusory. Life under the sun, because it is temporal, cannot satisfy life within, which is supposed to be eternal. It's important to appreciate that point. Rather, the eternity that God has put in us can only be satisfied by God himself. In terms of how you can tap into that, to enjoy that which only God can give, you have to live a life in relation to this God. In other words, you must fear God. So let's now reflect on this idea of the fear of God, which can bring about this lasting, satisfying life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we read these words, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. And this is in verse 13. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. This is man's all. Fear God. That's man's all. Your all is not to gain the world. Your all is not to earn all the physical things that this life can offer. Your all is not about trying to find happiness through wealth or the pleasures of this world. That's not man's all. Man's all is to fear God and to keep his commandments. The fear of God, therefore, is what gives meaning to life. And this is really the point Solomon is trying to make. Solomon is saying, when you fear God, you will be happy. When you fear God, You will find meaning in life. We can have all the temporal, but without God in the picture, they are meaningless. You can have all the money and all the pleasures, but without the fear of God in the picture, they are meaningless. The fear of God, according to Proverbs 1 and verse 7, is the beginning of knowledge and is the beginning of wisdom. But what is the fear of God? The fear of God, to use the words of Jerry Bridges, and I quote, is that constant veneration for God, which makes us dread, abase, respect, admire, love, and trust him. Makes us to dread him, Abase ourselves before Him, to respect Him, to admire Him, to love and to trust Him. That is what the fear of God is. How can we fear God? We can do so, first of all, by holding correct concepts of the character of God. You can't have no concepts but at the same time have a hope and expectation of knowing God and and fearing God. You you have to know something about God. You have to hold correct concepts of the character of God. John Murray wrote, and I quote, What or whom we worship determines our behaviour. End of quote. So if we would fear him, We must know who he is. We need, for example, to be familiar with various concepts of God or about God. His holiness, his greatness, his omniscience, his omnipotence, his righteousness, his majesty. We need to be filled with the thoughts of God along these lines in order for us to him. We can also fear God by cultivating a pervasive sense of the presence of God. And this sense of the presence of God comes by prayer, by meditation on God's revelation, by worship. We can also cultivate the fear of God by having a constant awareness of our obligations to God. And according to the Bible, Proverbs 8 verse 13, verse 13, we have an obligation to hate and to strive to keep away from things that arouse God's indignation. Proverbs eight thirteen says, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. Proverbs 16, verse 6 says, by the fear of the Lord one departs from evil. The question is, do you hate the, 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 the do you hate the things that displease God? Do you hate sin? Do you depart from evil because you fear the Lord? We also have an obligation to go out of our way to do the things that please God. When we defer to his opinion, which is expressed in his law, we demonstrate the fear of God. Proverbs 14 verse 2 says, Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. Proverbs 23 verse 17 says, Zeal for the fear of the Lord will keep you from envying sinners. When we fear the Lord, when we are near to the Lord, we will satisfy the eternity that God has put in us. So let me conclude by underlining three important things, three important points that the message of Ecclesiastes wishes you to know, especially in regard to uh, the illusion of safety. The first is, the Book of Ecclesiastes shows very, very keenly the hollowness of what looks like the fullest life outside of God. Outside of God, education looks like that's the alpha and the omega of life. Pursuing degrees, all manner of knowledge, as an end in itself. That looks like the whole of life. But if it was pursued and made to be the end in itself, it becomes an idol and therefore something that God will oppose and also therefore something that won't really give you any lasting happiness. It looks like the fullest of life, but it's not. We can say the same thing about achievement, about pleasure, the pleasures of the world. They look like the fullest of life, but because they are being enjoyed outside God, that appearance is indeed only an appearance. The second thing the message relays is... That man is not created to enjoy life outside of God. He created you, body and soul. He created you with a body, and he, in, in that body, he placed eternity. Only he is eternal, and he has communicated something of that eternity with us. That eternity can only be satisfied by god when you choose to live a life outside of god when you choose to pursue education work wealth pleasure outside of god you won't find the happiness you seek you won't find the satisfaction you seek you will find life a frustration you will find that you are only grasping for the wind. In fact, you will find that in ways that are more important than the things you pursue, you are becoming poorer. What did Jesus say? A man who seeks to gain the world, but loses his own soul is not achieving anything which is what some of you may be doing there's nothing wrong with education itself, nothing wrong with the work that you do in itself there's nothing wrong with wealth or pleasure what is wrong is that they are being pursued outside God God has been booted out of your life Church life and participation has been booted out of your life. And these things you pursue have become the alpha and omega of life. Well, Solomon guarantees that you won't find happiness in life when you pursue it that way. And the reason is that you are not meant to enjoy life outside of God. Thirdly and finally, and to the point, the book shows that when we know God through the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can't know God outside of Christ because the the God who created the world and who sustained the world is the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. For you to know this God, you must know Jesus Christ. And for you to really enjoy life, you need to have a relationship with this God through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not illusory. Life with God is the big deal, is the real deal. That is what you must know. That is what you must pursue. That is what would lead to meaning and purpose in life. This is the whole duty of man. Or putting it differently, this is what makes a man, a whole man, a perfect man, a fulfilled man, a man who has found meaning and purpose in life. If you would be whole therefore, And this is my challenge to you. Fear God and obey his commandments. Does he obey, does he command you to love him with all your soul and all your being, with all your energy? If you fear him, obey that command. Does he command you to love your neighbor as you love yourself? If you do fear him, obey that command. Does he command you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? To turn from your sin? or do it and you will find happiness. Does he command you to be a part of the gathered church? To find your niche in the church and to serve him through the church? And to contribute to the process of uh, expanding his kingdom here below? Well, if he does, do it. It is in serving God, even with all your education and with all your wealth, or perhaps without wealth, it is in serving God and knowing God that you will find true meaning, true concord, true purpose in life. May the Lord help you so to find, even as you begin living through the year 2021. Amen.